0: In fact, that's really kind of what we've been focusing on the last couple weeks is the light has come, right? That when you think about Christmas with all that's involved in Christmas, all the parties, all the gift buying, all those things, it comes down to one central truth and it's this. Christmas is about the light of the world has come into a dark and a broken world. That's it. And so we talk, we're walking through the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to take a long time to go through it, but last week, a couple of weeks ago we started Matthew and we said this because this is the essence of Matthew, the light is coming to the world and Matthew's predominantly writing to Jewish people. Matthew went to a, a great lengths to remind the Jewish people that Jesus is the promised Messiah. The one they've been waiting for, Jesus is that guy. He is the promised Messiah. And then last week we met a guy by the name of Joseph. And most of us don't think about Joseph, but we're, we're introduced to this guy who is thrown into a scandalous situation, right? I mean, his, his, his wife, who's betrothed, which means they were legally married, his, his, in essence his wife is pregnant, it's not his. What an awkward situation, what a scandalous moment, and he's left with this scandalous decision. But the Bible says this about Joseph: he was a just man, right? Which means he was going to do the right thing. So he loved Mary, and he was just going to put her aside and divorce her quietly. And then, if you remember, there was a divine interruption. Angels showed up, and then dream and spoke to Joseph. And the thing I love most about the story is this: is that when everything made no sense, the Bible says that Joseph got up and he did what the angel Lord had commanded him. That despite chaos, despite not understanding, Joseph obeyed the Lord. Even in the most scandalous situation we could ever imagine, and with the most scandalous decision we could ever hope to or think about making, Joseph obeyed the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I sure like to be more like Joseph. I want to be that guy that no matter what comes my way, I feel like I'm obeying God, right? And so today we're going to talk about another guy, and this guy's name is King Herod. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. Matthew chapter 2. Now, Uh, Today, as we look at Herod, uh, he's typically not a guy we spend much time on, because most of us, when we think of King Herod, think of a crazy man who was a bad king, and we kind of move on from there. And here's the thing about that. You're right. He was a maniac. In fact, most historians would say that he would be classified as a schizophrenic, that this guy was crazy. We'll get to that in just a minute. But at the end of the day, I want us to look at Herod, A, because he's in Scripture, B, because I think when we look at Herod's life, and we think about Herod and some things he wrestled with. I think we're going to find out something that's probably very true today. We're not that different from Herod. We've got some of the same issues that he has. So, there's four things I want you to know something about Herod. Here's the first one He had a troubled heart. Look with me in verse 1. It says this, chapter 2, verse 1. And verse through, through through verse three. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, and the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, "Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw this star when it rose, and we have come to worship him." When Herod heard uh, the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. He was troubled heart. He had a troubled heart. That word troubled in the original language means to be disturbed. It's the idea that there was a great agitation in Herod's heart, and there was no calmness about him. In other words, there was something stirring in him. Now think about it. If you're Herod the king of the Jews, are you disturbed by what just happened? Come on, are you disturbed? That's, that's not rhetorical. Would you be disturbed by that? You're king, and you have these wise men show up and go, oh, we've come to worship another king who's been born, and you realize I've not had any children recently, would, it, would you be a little bit troubled too? Sure you would. Sure you would. These wise men show up and go, hey, look, we've come. And look, like, wise men, and we'll get to them next week because they're one of my favorite people to talk about. We'll talk about them all next week. But the wise men were, and we'll find out why they were called wise, but the wise men had a lot of political and religious influence. So when they showed up, all kings had a tendency to listen to them. All kings did. And so they had a lot of influence. And so they show up on the scene going, hey, we've come because there's a new king that's been born, and we've come to worship him. So if you're Herod, you're going, okay, wait a minute, I look around, and I'm the king. I've got sons, but they're older. No one's been born. I haven't had any kids that I know about. And so you've come to worship this king, and he's not mine. He was troubled. And I think the reason, if you look at the story, the reason he had a troubled heart is because this news threatened his kingdom, right? This news that another king had been born threatens Herod's kingdom. Now, if you were to study history, not not the Bible because it didn't tell us a lot about Herod, but you can go to extra biblical sources, historical sources that tell us a lot about Herod. Herod ruled about 40 years as king of the Jews. He ruled about 40 years. Now, the way he ruled was with scare tactics. That's how he ruled. You can read that in history books. In fact, when it says here in verse 3 that Herod was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him, Jerusalem, the people of Jerusalem, wasn't concerned about the news. They were concerned that Herod was concerned. Because if Herod is concerned and Herod's troubled, guess who's going to catch, catch the brunt of their punishment? They are. So they were troubled, not because of the news. They were troubled because of the king. Because now he's got this information that's troubling him because he's thinking his kingdom is threatened. And guess what? We're going to catch the brunt end of that. History also would tell us that he was so paranoid at one particular time in history. He was so paranoid that 70 of the most wise religious leaders of the day, he called him to himself. And because they did not give him the advice and the information he wanted, he had them all killed. Every one of them. Killed. And if that's not paranoid enough, he had a lot of kids, but two oldest sons he had, he was afraid that they were going to create a mutiny and take over his kingdom, and he had them both killed. The last one, the oldest son, happened within the last two weeks of his life. He was so scared about losing his kingdom that he had them killed. In fact, Caesar Augustus, you know, the emperor of Rome, the the big Caesar Augustus, he said this about Herod, that it's better to be a pig than to be his son. Meaning that Herod treated pigs with more respect than he treated his own kids. This guy was crazy. Here's the thing. This guy was afraid that he was gonna lose his kingdom. See, when Herod was troubled, people died, right? When Herod got troubled, when Herod was upset, people were taken out. This guy, listen, please hear my heart here. This guy was troubled and upset because he was afraid he was about to lose his kingdom. Now, here's the funny thing to it. You ready? It was never his kingdom to begin with, was it? God allowed him to sit on the throne, but who's the king of the Jews? Yahweh is, right? And so when you read the story, there's this reminder that while he was afraid he was going to lose his kingdom, at the end of the day, God allowed him to sit on the throne. It was never his kingdom to begin with. Now, here's why I point that out. Maybe some of you today are here because you have a troubled heart. Maybe when you read the Bible, maybe when you read some things that God says to you, or maybe when you read the the words of Jesus, if you were really honest today, here's what you would say. What I read in this book threatens my kingdom, threatens my life, the way I like to do things. Now, let's just, I mean, church is a place of honesty. Can we all be honest today? Can you say amen to that? Okay, some of you are like, I don't know. Sure, well, just hang with me, all right? Listen, if we were honest, we would say this, that when I read this book, sometimes it does threaten Doug's kingdom. Sometimes it threatens your kingdom. Let me give you some examples. For example, some of you would say this, okay, when Jesus in Luke 9, 23 says, if any man or woman will come after me, he must deny himself, does that threaten your kingdom of self-centeredness? You better believe it. Do we live in a self-centered world? Come on, only this half the room believes that. Do we believe live in a self-centered world? I said this before and I'm going to say it again. The trinity of today is not Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It is me, myself, and I. That's the world we live in, right? That's the world that we are, that we are raising our kids in. That, listen, that's why it's so important for us as a church to love on these families and and care for them and care for their kids because I can't imagine raising small children in the world we live in today. Why? Because we live in a world that is driven by self-centeredness. And when we hear Jesus say, if you want to follow me, if you really want to be my disciple, here's where it begins. Deny yourself. Well, that violates everything in me because I like myself. I like to buy stuff for myself. I mean, I don't know about you, but if you were really honest, could you just say this maybe, that maybe sometimes you function with the idea that the world revolves around you? Come on. When you make decisions, who do you make decisions for? You or how it affects your neighbors? You or how it affects your coworkers? Come on. It, it's us, right? And so when we read this book, what we find out is that maybe our hearts are troubled today because this book, the words of Jesus, threaten our kingdom. What about when he says this? Don't store for yourself treasures on earth. Is it possibly that that violates our kingdom of greed that says I want to make more, to have more, to throw more in the bank so I can have more stuff? You've heard the expression keeping up with the Joneses, right? Right, you know what that means, right? Right? And some of us live in that world. Some of us, if we look back, man, we'd be caught up in that. I remember one time when Sonia and I, James was little and David, or Dana was little, and we hadn't had David yet. And I remember that I lived in West County, St. Louis, and that is the more affluent side of St. Louis. And and at that time, we had a a Nissan pickup truck that had got dent in the move, and it looked terrible. And we had this other vehicle that was like a Pontiac Transport, I don't know if you remember those, but it was a big van. But it look, I mean, it just it looked like Cousin Eddie's mobile home on Christmas vacation. I mean, it, it, some of you got that image, right? And we lived in West County. And I have teenagers coming to youth group on Wednesday night driving jaguars, driving Hummers. I'm not kidding, you have sign, driving hummers. And so in us, we're like, okay, we we got to step it up. So we went out and bought a van, another van, an Oldsmobile silhouette, and we paid sticker price for that thing. And as I look back, I'm going, how stupid. Do you have to be? Somewhere in my heart and mind, I got caught up in the world of greed. Because when I read this book, I'm reminded, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth, but store for yourself treasures in heaven where rust and moth don't destroy. But when I read those words, does it, does it kind of speak to the kingdom I want to live in? You better believe it. What about when Jesus says this? If you want to be the greatest, you must become the least. Does that, does that threaten our kingdom of success? Come on, does that threaten your kingdom of success? That if I'm gonna be great, I've gotta be least? You better believe it. See, here's what I believe to be true. When I read this book and I read the words of Jesus, I'm reminded that that I really do wrestle with this book invading my kingdom. I really do wrestle with, when I read this book, that the words Jesus spoke and the words we read all throughout scripture violate the kingdom that Doug is trying to build. But here's also what I realize as a Christian. It's not my kingdom to build. That my life, the money that I have, the success I, I seek, it's not about me. It's about who? It's about Jesus, right? And the more I read this book, I just wanna be honest with you this morning, the more I read this book, here's the more I'm reminded, that I wrestle with this. I wrestled having a troubled heart. I wrestled with the words of Jesus troubling and attacking my kingdom. But I also realize this, is that it's not my kingdom. It's his. My life is not my life. It's his. My finances, it's not mine. I'm not an owner. I'm a manager. I am a steward of what God has given me. And my success, it's not about me at all. It's about Jesus, right? And maybe the thing is, maybe, listen, maybe the reason our hearts might be troubled today is because the commitment that Jesus is calling us to is not the commitment we're willing to make. Think about that. Maybe the reason our hearts are troubled is because the commitment that Jesus called us to is not the commitment that we're willing to make. That's where the rubber hits the road, right? But here's what I want to say to you. If you're like me and sometimes look at your life and realize you have a, a troubled heart sometimes, listen, if that troubled heart goes undealt with, it will always lead to a hard heart. That's Herod. Let me give you a second thing I see in Herod. It's this. Herod had a lying heart. Herod had a lying heart. Look with me in verse 4 through 8. It says this. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes, the people, he inquired of them where the Christ had been born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who, sh- who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men, And secretly ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I may come and what? That I may come and do what? Worship him. Now listen to me. Please hear me. Herod is lying, right? We know the rest of the story. Herod had no desire to worship Jesus. Jesus was a threat to Herod. In fact, just skip down to verse 16. Let me tell you what his heart was. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all the region who were two years or older or under. That was the intent of Herod. He sent out this decree, much like Pharaoh did with Moses, right? He sent out this decree that, hey, listen, if you're not going to tell me where he came from, I'm going to send out this decree and we're just going to kill everybody. Every kid two years or under, every male, we're going to take him out. See, Herod was a liar. His troubled heart led to a lying heart. And he told this wise man, hey, you go find out where they are and you bring me word back and then we're going to go and we're, I'm going to go and I'm just going to worship this king. Liar. No intent. He, he lied about his loyalty to Jesus, and he hid his real agenda. He had no intention, no intention of worshiping Jesus. His only intention was to take him out, right? Question, do we have a lying heart today? Here's what I mean. Do we project ourselves as something we are not? Do we? Here's what some of you maybe do or wrestle with. Maybe some of you project yourself as having your life together, but it's really falling apart. Some of you project yourself as, man, financially, we're sound, we're doing good, and you're struggling financially. Maybe some of you project yourselves, hey, my family, we're a loving family. We come in, we're all smiles, even though we, we got rebuked before we walked through the door. I mean, we're all smiles, we're all lovey-dovey, we're all huggy friends. But when it gets back at home, we're throwing things at each other. I mean, you act like family's good, but when we get home, it's not so good. Or you walk in and you say, man, I love my wife and I love my, I love my husband. And you feel like your marriage is good, but the truth of the matter is it's falling apart. You're struggling. I mean, do you ever find yourself projecting yourself as something that you are not? And maybe you are. Some of you projecting that things are good with you when they're not good with you. Some of us project this. We project that, hey, we really want to grow in our walk with Christ. When we have conversations, and you know kind of who you are, because we have conversations, we have like over-the-top God conversations, like, Bless the Lord today. I mean, we had these kind of conversations. Like, We're like, I have no idea what you just said to me. I mean, it wasn't even like, I mean, I don't know what you just said, but it's like over the top. We want people to think that we want desire to grow in the Lord, but the same token, we're at home and we're surfing things on the Internet we shouldn't be surfing. Or we're living in certain ways we shouldn't be living, right? But we want people to think, man, we're trying to grow in the Lord, but yet all this sin and the secret sin is waging is war in our lives. Or maybe we want to project to people that we love Jesus, that we are fanatically in love with Jesus, but yet we go to work and a stream of profanities come out of our mouth. Our stream of condescending comments, our degrading comments to our coworkers, our gossip. Oh, that hurts. But gossip that comes out of my mouth, right? Well, we love Jesus, but did you hear about what Elijah did? Woo! Right? And out of one side, we praise God, and on the other side, we curse men. I think James had a lot to say about that one. I'm just saying this, is it possible some of us have a lying heart today? We're projecting ourselves as something that we clearly are not. Now please hear me, we've all wrestled with that. We've all struggled with trying to tell people, yeah, my family's doing good. When you go home, man, it is, it's, it's crumbling. All right, I'm in love with Jesus, but yet I got this sin that just will not let go of me. We've all struggled, but listen to me. If you struggle with it, it's time to come clean with it. Not with me, but with the Lord. That's why every week we offer this altar. I know it's a, it's a, it's a school with tile floors and two rugs and wooden steps. But listen, for about 35 to 45 seconds every Sunday, it is the altar before a holy God. And the reason I ask you to come is because when you come to this altar, you're saying, God, I don't have my life together. I don't have everything going good. But here's what I know. You do, and I need you more today than I've ever needed you before. And when you come to the altar, it is a picture of just surrender. God, here am I, just doing me what you want to do. And some of us have a lying heart, and today I know you may struggle. But would you just be honest today and come clean? Because listen, if we don't deal with our lying hearts, guess what that leads to? Hard heart, right? Let me give you another thing I see with Herod is this, is that he had a deceived heart. Look with me in verse 9. Verse 9, it says this. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold the star that had been seen when it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, not the manger, the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasure, they offered their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now listen, here's the deal. He had a deceived heart. Literally, he told them, I'm going to, you come back to me and tell me, tell me where he is, and I'm going to come and worship them. And somewhere along the line, Herod really believed they were going to come back to him, didn't he? He really believed they were going to come back and bring him a report. And we know what happened, right? Look at verse 12 here. We know what happens. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. We know when we read this story that they came, they worshiped Jesus, and we'll talk about that next week, and they were wise and they listened to the angel and they did not return home the way they had planned. Herod was deceived. And so here's my question for you today. Do you have maybe a deceived heart today? And here's what I mean. You've been lying about how you're doing for so long you've started believing it. Can I tell you the greatest lie most of us tell? I'm okay. I'm okay. I remember um, when one of my grandmas passed away. I remember me at the graveside. And it was one of my grandmas, I, mean, I was close to both of them, I loved them both, but it was my grandma Porter and I was at the graveside and... And I remember sitting there and just kind of, I was, I was just emotionless. I mean, I didn't, I just was like there and I was hurt and sad. And everybody said, how are you doing? Because, you know, at funerals, that's really the only thing we know to say is, are you okay? And what we, we want to do is slap them in the face and go, No, I'm not okay. No, they, somebody died. I'm not okay. And so I, I remember walking around and I remember it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I walked away from the crowd and then there came my dad walking down this massive hill to where I was at. And he embraced me and here's what he said to me, you don't have to be okay. And at that point, I just fell apart in my dad's arms because I wasn't okay. I think that's one of the greatest deceptions we tell ourselves. We're okay. Can I tell you, can I, can, I, can I give you a secret? You're all messed up. All of us. We are not okay. But Jesus makes me okay in his sight. Right? I'm not okay. Okay. And when you read scripture, like if you read the book of Proverbs, here's what you find out. The book of Proverbs, I love it because it deals with wisdom and foolishness. What wisdom looks like and what foolishness. Now, here's what you find about foolishness. Those who live foolishly actually think they're wise. Right? And then you got Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, which we'll get to sometime in February. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 ends his Sermon on the Mount this way. For all of you who have heard my words and put them into practice, you're like a wise man who built his house on the what? Rock. But those of you that hear my words and do not put them into practice, you're like a foolish man who built his house on the what? Sand. Here's the problem. Many of us are living foolishly, thinking we're okay, and we are deceiving ourselves just like Kara deceived himself. We're in deception. But listen to me. If we don't deal with a deceived heart, guess what that leads to? A hard heart, right? Let me give you one more thing I see here. It's verse 16 through 18. It's this. Herod had a broken heart. Look with me in verse 16 through 18 again. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men. Now, tricked is in his eyes. Okay, get that. They didn't like, they didn't like manipulate Herod at all. They did not trick him. That's in Herod's eyes. They tricked him by the wise men. He became furious and he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all the region were two years or under, according to that time that he had ascertained from the wise men. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping and loud lamentations. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to comfort it because they are no more. In other words, he snapped his broken heart was the last thing, the last straw that made him have a hard heart. He snapped. Herod was so troubled. He lied so much. He has so deceived himself that where he found himself was with a broken heart. There's a king that's going to take my kingdom, even though it wasn't his. And he lied about it. He tried to. De- he deceived himself. He had a broken heart. And what did he do with that broken heart? Heart. He snapped. And I believe this was all in my heart. Herod died with a troubled. A lying, a deceived, and a broken heart. That's how he died. Here's my question for you. Do you have a heart that's troubled today? That's lying, deceived, or maybe possibly where you find yourself, you have a heart that's been broken. Now, I want you to look at me just for a minute. Don't, please don't take these notes. I just want you to listen to this. Do you find yourself at a place today where you feel broken and maybe even angry? Like Herod? Come on, things have happened in life, and you if you were honest and just talking to your BFF on the phone, you would say this, I'm kind of angry with God. This happened, I'm struggling. Or I'm angry with somebody because this happened, and they act like nothing ever happened. I mean, where you find yourself today, do you find yourself possibly at a place of where you're broken and angry? Here's my question. How are you going to deal with it? Because if you let it simmer, it will turn your heart hard. Or you can give it to the Lord and let him restore it. It's your choice. See, when I read this story, here's what I find out. Herod missed it, didn't he? Herod missed it. Everything that God wanted to do, Herod missed it. Herod so missed the good news of this story. But I think it's important for us to realize we don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss the truth of the passage. So here's my question for you. Where do you see yourself? Today, is your heart troubled? Do you feel like your kingdom is being threatened by God's word? Do you find yourself today with maybe a lying heart where you're you portraying yourself as something you're not and you're, listen, you're just being a fraud and you're deceiving yourself? Do you have a deceived heart where you, where you just somehow think you can live like the devil and God's gonna bless you? Because if you believe that, man, that's deception. Or do you have a broken heart today? Or man, you feel like your heart's been torn into a thousand pieces? Now listen to me. The message of Christmas is this. The story of Jesus is good news. I want you to say it with me, good news. You ready? One, two, three, good news. It's good news. Now, here's why it's good news for us today. Because the good news for us today is this, is that if you have a troubled heart, you can find peace, right? That's good news. If your heart is troubled today, You can find peace. Now, you're going to find it in the bottom of a bottle. You're not going to find it in a relationship. You're going to find it in an encounter with the Holy God. That's how you find peace, only through the work of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you today, maybe you don't have a personal relationship with Christ. And what you're looking for more than anything else is to find peace for your aching soul. Listen to me. I don't have magic words, but here's what I do know. It can only be found. Peace can only be discovered when you surrender your life to him for the first time. And say, Lord... My life is messed up, jacked up, and it's not cleaned up, but I give it to you, all broken and in pieces. And he goes, awesome, thank you. Because I fearfully and I wonderfully made you, and I knit you in your mother's womb, and I can take the broken pieces of your heart, and I can put them all back together again, and you'll be way better than Humpty Dumpty. Right? That's what God does. Or maybe you're here today, and you're a believer, and you're struggling, and you're looking for peace. It's only found through Christ. See, the good news The Christmas story is this, is that if we have a troubled heart, we can find peace. Herod never found it, but we can. Or if you're here today, the good news is if you have a lying heart is that you can find forgiveness, Right? The greatest thing that I love about God is no matter how, despite my failures, despite my sin, despite my propensity to rebel against him, I find that he's always willing to take me back. Just like the prodigal son and the father who goes out and greets him and forgives him and hugs him and embraces me. That's a picture of our heavenly father. And if you find yourself today being a fraud and a pretender, instead of wallowing in that, come seeking his forgiveness. Or the good news for some of us is maybe we have a deceived heart and we've lied to ourselves so much that we've lost our way. The good news is you can find your way again through Christ. Or maybe you're here today and you have a broken heart. The good news is that God can restore and mend that broken heart. So here's the question for all of us today. Which one of these do you need? Do you need peace? It's found in Jesus. Do you need forgiveness? It's found in Jesus. Do you need to find your way back because you've rebelled and you strayed? It's found, and guess who? In Jesus. Or maybe you have a broken heart today and you need it repaired. The only one that can do it is the great physician who is, guess who? It's Jesus. So which one do you need today? Now here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Now, I ask this every week, but I'm going to ask a little bit more emphatically today. In just a moment. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I'm just going to tell you, whether you realize it or not, you're looking for peace. You're looking for something to settle the chaos that's raging in your heart. And the only way you're going to find it is by surrendering your life to Christ. That's it. So if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus, listen, all I'm saying is if you would just take a moment and just acknowledge that you know that you're a sinner, that you've said things, done things, and, 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 and thought things that were rebellion toward God and his word, and you confess that sin, and you say, God, forgive me for my sin and invade my life, and I surrender my life to you to be the Lord and Savior. If you do that, the Bible says, for anyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in a heart that God raised him from the dead shall be saved. And if you've never done that, I challenge you to do that today. And maybe you don't feel like coming forward and talking to me, but there's a welcome card. And if you just take that and fill it out, and later when the offering plate passes, if you just drop that in and said, today, I gave my life to Christ. Today, I said, God, forgive me for my sins and be the Lord and the boss of my life. I challenge you to do that. But if you're like me and you're a believer today, this message is for us too, isn't it? And I'm gonna ask you to do something crazy today. I'm gonna ask you to so be outside your box, And I'm going to ask you if you feel comfortable when we pray. If you find yourself in any one of those categories, maybe you feel like you're troubled. Maybe you feel like you've been deceptive. Maybe you feel like you're kind of lying to yourself. Maybe you have a broken heart. Listen, this altar for the next four or five minutes is an altar before God. And I'm going to ask you to come and join me and just get on your knees and just cry. Whatever's weighting you down. Just cry to God. I don't care if you're a first-time guest or you've been here for the last four and a half years. It doesn't matter to me. This altar is open for you. And if you're like, Doug, I would love to come. I just can't kneel down. Well, just come to the front row and sit down. Something to say, God, you're moving in my life, and I'm going to respond. This altar is open to all of us. So I'm going to ask you to stand up. Everybody stand up if you would. Everybody stand up. Every head bowed and every eye closed as I pray for us. God in heaven, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for all that you do for us. But God, I pray today for us, I pray that we would realize that we are not that different from Herod. That there's some people in the room today, they truly have troubled hearts. That when they read your word and they listen to the words of Jesus, it threatens our kingdom. But God, I pray you would remind us, it's not our kingdom. Our lives are not our own. Our bodies aren't our own. Everything about us, our finances, they're not all ours. They belong to you. And God, I pray for those who are troubled today that they would come to this altar and say, Lord, I, I, I give it all back to you. I know it's yours, and I ask you to give me wisdom how to deal with it. God, I pray for those who are lying, those who are, who are just being pretenders and frauds, that today they would just come clean. They would quit projecting themselves as one thing and start being honest with where they're at so that you can meet them there grow them. I pray this altar be filled with those I pray the altar be filled with those who are deceiving themselves. They've told the lie so much that they've started believing the lie and today they just need to come and drop their guard and say Lord do a work in my life but God today my heart is heavy for those who have a broken heart and I think in the season of Christmas there's a lot of people in this room that would fit in that category maybe it's broken because of a relationship that's gone south, maybe it's broken because of a loss, a tragedy are just an aching inside them. And God, I pray that they would flood this altar and say, Lord, I know that you're the only one that can mend my broken heart. So God, we give this invitation to you today. For those who don't know you, may they say yes to Jesus. For those who do, may we seriously do business with you. May we not leave this place today the same as we came in. Herod missed the good news. May we embrace it and celebrate it today as our Lord and our King. God, we love you, and we need you in this hour. For in your precious and your glorious son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. This altar is open if you want to come.